Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Help of Hashem, we are learning Bavakama Dav Kuf Yutes. Emir Hashem today, making the Siyum on Bavakama. We left off on Dav Kuf Yutes on Medalev, the second line from the top of the Amit. We are learning the Sugya about the prohibition of buying certain items from people upon whom there is a suspicion that the items that they are selling are stolen items. Says the Gemara, referring back to the Mishnah, that one cannot buy fruit from a watchman of fruit. So says the Gemara, that Rav Zovin Shabishasa, Rav bought Shabishasa, says Rashi, he bought bundles of grapevine Ma'arisa from a sharecropper. So Amrle Abaya, Abaya asked Rav, which is really why the Mesoida Sashas amends that it wasn't Rav who bought, it was Rava. Rava is the Barplukta of Abaya. Or perhaps he writes it was Rabba, who was the teacher of Abaya. So Abaya asked Rava or Rabba, how can you buy bundles of grapevine from an Aris? We learned in our Mishnah, that one is not allowed to buy from a fruit watchman, not twigs, nor fruit. So Amar Lei, to which again Rava or Rabba responded, Han Amili, when did our Mishnah prohibit? That was only Bishaymer, buying it from a watchman, the lace lay begufa da aramidi, that has no share in the land. And therefore, it was the, uh, sadly, if they're selling it, Nistama, they stole it. And you know that I buy stolen items. Avul Aris, well, when it comes to a sharecropper, since the Isle Begave, since he does have a share in the land, so we're going to read that which the Bach inserts. Ema, I'm going to tell you that that he is selling that which he owns by himself. Continues the Gemara Tanarabana we learned in Abraisa. Shoimei Peda is that fruit watchmen loikhen mehen. We are allowed to buy fruit from them when kishehem yoishven when they are sitting in the open umoichlenanans and they are selling. So our Mishnah's concern is not when they're selling in the open. If a person is selling something in the open, they wouldn't be selling stolen merchandise. At least then people were not so brazen. We're not didn't have such chutzpah to sell something stolen in the public. And like and when they sit in the public, and the baskets are in front of them, and the scales are in front of them. However, even in such a scenario, regardless, if if the salesmen are saying, hide, like we said in the Mishnah, either you hide or they hid the fruits, hide the merchandise, then then one is not allowed to buy it from them. Continues the Brais. You can buy when they are sitting at the garden entrance. However, but not if they are in the back of the garden. You know, it's, a, it's in a secluded place. It was stated. Gazlan, if you have a known robber, from when are you allowed to purchase from him? The Rif, here the Mosaic Sashas brings, says, From when you, can you collect a debt from him? In other words, our Mishnah was speaking about specific items like fruit from a fruit watchman, buying a wool from a shepherd. Here we're speaking about not a specific item, but there is a robber, 
and you're getting money from him. When could you or could you not take it from him? So Rav Omar as long as the assumption is that the majority of whatever he has in his possession is his. So you can argue that which you're taking, that which you are collecting is from the Rav, which is non-stolen money. However, Shmuel, and we had the sheet of Shmuel many times previously, Shmuel holds that ein hoilchen b'mamein achar haroiv. So Shmuel says, afilu miyot In other if everything he has is stolen, you can't, you can't take anything from him. But as long as at least the minority of what he has is honestly his, you are allowed to buy things from him, you're allowed to collect a debt from him, continues the Gemara, that that Rav Yehuda paskent to Ado, the attendant of the Chachamim, like the one, which is Shmuel, who says, which is taka the rule, that we paskin like Shmuel, by Bedina, which means in monetary, uh, in monetary laws. Continuing the Gemara, Mamain Masur. Masur is someone, the word Masur means someone who is given over. A Moiser, a person who, not being coerced, gives over a Jew and his property to a, uh, to a non Jewish entity. Uh, let's certainly say it refers to giving over a Jew and his possessions to extortionists. So he is musser to, to death. He's given over to die. So that's why he's not called a moiser. The moiser is the sin that he's doing. But he now becomes musser. So the Gemara says, What about the money that belongs to the musser? He himself should be put to death. What about his money? So Rafuna Rav Yehuda says, You can ruin it directly. And... I'm sorry, Chad Omer, one of them say, Chad Omer, and the other one says, Generally, when you have Chad Omer, the first Chad goes to the first opinion, the first Rav mentioned, the first Chacha mentioned, no, was Rav Huna and Rav Yehuda. And Gemara explains, If being that one is allowed to put him to death, and that refers both to a scenario who someone is a habitual moiser, habitual meaning he did it three times or more, and certainly when he's on the way to inform on another Jew, speaking about not informing on another Jew because there's a safety issue involved, he's simply, there's no safety issue involved, it's only a monetary issue involved, and no one is coercing him, so he is allowed, again, so how can his money be more important than himself, and therefore you can destroy it directly. However, Oman the Omar, Asur Abdoi, I, you have a Kalvo so he says that Dilma he might have righteous descendants. And it says, and the Pasuk in Iuf, the Pasuk really reads, Yachin Vitzadik Hilbosh, that he prepares and that Tzadik clothes himself. The Gemara inserts, a word that's not on the Pasik. By saying that Yachin refers to a Rasha. That Hashem by divine providence makes it that the Rasha prepares. He gathers, he works, he gathers the, the money. And all of that is in order for the Tzaddik to clothe himself in the money. So he's Taka Rasha. 
but don't ruin his money because all of that was for his descendants to be able to clothe and to have those assets. Says the Gemara of Chizdom, had a sharecropper, and here we're going to read out one, the first way Rashi explains the Gemara, to have a tokil, that he used to weigh exactly how much belongs to the owner of the land, which was Rab Chizda, and he gave that to Rab Chizda, and Takel, and he weighed exactly, and Vishakal, and he took his part. In other words, he was extremely perfect in the weights, and here it's understood as a negative. In other words, he was never generous, he never gave the owner of the land one ounce more than he earned, that, that belonged to him. And because of that, Stinginess, let's say, Salke, Rab Chizda removed him, and not only that, Koran Nafshei, and he read himself on the Pasik, he read for himself the following Pasik, that Vitsafin la Tzadik, Chayl Chayta, that it's stored away for the Tzadik, the wealth of the sinner. And of course, yeah, yeah, what's, what's wrong? He didn't steal. So the Marsha addresses, the Marsha interprets the Gemara differently, but let's stick with the first. Pshat and Rashi, I'll read, let's, we can read it inside, that Tokil Veshakil Lenafshe, Medagdig Bechaluka, he was extremely precise in the division, Veena Mevater, Mechel Kloiklum, and he never gave up. You know, there's even a version in the Mishnah, Shali Shali Shalach Shalach Midasudaim. Wow, my, what's mine is mine, and I want everything that's mine. Of course, he cannot take more than what's his. But to be at least a little bit generous is something that, that is very healthy and important. Continues the Gemara. Kima tikvas chanef. The Pasik says, for what hope is there for the chanef? Chanef means a, a chanfener, someone who is a uh, flatterer. We learned about chanef, I think it was in Saita, which is in this context referring to a robber. Ki yivtza, who steals, like what hope will he have? Hashem will cast his soul away. In other words, a robber is someone who is, to a certain degree, taking someone's soul away. Whose soul, whose neshama does he take away? Here again, Rav Huna and Abchizda. Chad Omar, one of them says that this Pasik is referring to Nafshoi Denigzel, that a robber takes the soul of his victim away. The Chad Omar, the other one, interprets Nafshoi Shal Gazlan, that the Gazlan, the robber, is losing his own soul. Because of theft, as it says in a pasuk in Mishlei, so is the ways of everyone or anyone who steals. As nefesh of he takes away the soul of its owner, meaning that you know people should give their lives, they give all their energy to earn a, to earn a few dollars, and when you take their money away, you're taking their nefesh away. And the positive we learn this in Tanya, especially now. The greatness of tzedakah, that you're pushing, giving away your nefesh, your blood, to the poor. The other one who says that the verse that we quoted in Eov, refers to the gazlan, so to say, is forfeiting his life. As it says, Don't steal from the poor, although he's poor. Or even better, sometimes, somehow, the human nature is you kick a person when he's down. So a guy is poor, so he's vulnerable. People who are dishonest not take more advantage of him. Don't do that. Don't oppress a poor man in the gate. The gate was the place where you were supposed to give the poor all of the matnas aniyim. Because Hashem fights their fight. And 
nafesh. And Hashem robs those who rob their souls. So Hashem robbing their souls, meaning that to a certain level, people can forfeit their very soul for robbing. So that's the proof that the word, going back to the Pasuk in Mishlei, the Pasuk in Eov, Ki Yeshel Elokan Nafshei goes on the Gazlan. What does the other one do with the Pasuk? That a Gana for someone who is taking away the soul of his victim. So he interprets that Pasuk also, my Baal of Baal of the Hashta. Not of the victim. That Pasuk also refers to the robber soul himself. It says, the Kaves Koveyam Nafesh. My tam ka'amad, so he explains that the Pasik is telling you that my tam is Why will Hashem, so to say, rob the soul of the Gazlan, Mishum the Kavei Nefesh, because they rob the soul of their victim? If a person steals from his friend even only the value of a pruta, it's as if it's tantamount to murder. As it says, like we just quoted the Pasik, it's as if he took away his soul. Rabbi Yechanan is learning the Pasik the way the Chad Omar that it refers to the Nafshoi of the victim. And furthermore, Rabbi Yechanan brings another Pasik. It says that that he will consume. We're speaking about the Eremites and the Mitzrayim that took away our harvest, they took away our bread, that it's considered as if, and here we'll add from the Mesodah Sashas, it's as if they consume their very children. In other words, the, 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 the wrong one, the robber, not only is murdering the victim, he's murdering the victim's children, who now won't have what to eat. And as it says, that Mechamas Bnei Yehudam, I'm sorry, the, 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 the Edomites and the Mitzrayim is in reference to this Pasuk. That, that they, the Mitzrayim and the Edomites, they, op, they extorted the Yidin, the Bnei Yehuda, which is as if they spilled innocent blood in their lands. So here you see, again, another Pasuk, that extorting money is considered murder. Dam Naki. And it says that El Sha'ul, that on an account of shoal and on the house of, of blood, that would show kill the Givainim, and we're going to explain every Pasik and why did we need all these Pesukim. So, so if he only would have quoted the first Pasik as, as Nefesh Ba'al of Yikach, I would have said Nefesh Tidei, that stealing from someone is tantamount to taking that someone's life. Avon Nefesh but it's not considered also murdering their children. So Tamud Laimit, he brought the Pasik in Yirmiya, where there it says, Psar Banova Benaisav. Makes sense. The person doesn't have food, what to eat. He doesn't have what to give his children. And that maybe robbing, mamish taking without giving anything in return is tantamount to murder. But if a person is committing what we call chamas, chamas here means that he's taking something without that person's consent, but at least he's paying for it. So maybe that's not that bad. So that the Mitzrim and the Edomites, they wronged us, not by not paying, but still, the trader considers it as if they spilled blood. And Maybe that's only if they do it directly. But if they only cause people to lose their livelihood. So Tamud Laimer, 
El Shol Val Beis Adamim. That regarding on an account of Shol and on the account of his house of blood, Asher Hemis Asagivainim, regarding that which Shol killed the Givainim. And we had this tragic story together in Yivamis, Dafain Ches, Dafain Tes. That the question is, the Gemara asked over there, Vichihechen Motsino Shaharak Shol Asagivainim. Shol never killed the Givainim. Elamitoich Shaharak Noiv Irakahanim. So the whole tragedy was that Shaul went hearing that the, that the Kahanim in Noiv Kahanim, they gave refuge to David HaMelech. He sent his troops and they killed out all the Kahanim. Now what happened there is that the Givainim who were designated to become as we learned so many times together, they were not allowed to marry into Kahal Hashem, but they made their living by providing food and water for the Kahanim. So when Shaul HaMelech killed the Givainim, killed the Kahanim, I'm sorry, so they lost their source of income. And they taka died. And they died from hunger. And that was the story we learned in the Yivam, is that the seven of the, of the Givainim died. And Yidin, there was a terrible hunger in the land of Israel. And it went on for three years. And Dovar HaMelech, the greatest leader, he was uh, thinking maybe this is because of Avodah Zarah, maybe because of this Avedah, maybe because of that Avedah, until he finally consulted with the Urim Vetumim, and he was told by Hashem that the death, or the hunger that brought to death amongst the whole land of Israel was because of the Givainim, that, that Shaul wronged them. And he met with them, and they demanded blood for blood. They demanded that seven descendants of Shaul HaMelech should be killed. And Dovar HaMelech asked for them to have Rachmanus, for them to forgive, and he'll give them anything they want. And they did not forgive us. And the terrible story, you look in Yuvama, Sayin Tess, Altake Dovra Melech took seven of the descendants of Shaul and he gave these children to the Givainim and they hung them and they killed them and the hunger stopped. So all that happened was that Shaharag Noivira Kahanim and Shahayim Aspikim Lahemayim Umazin, let's learn Pshat, that the Givainim, they were the ones that supplied the Kahanim with their needs, but they got paid for it. And when the Kahanim died, that's Mamashan directly. Shaul HaMelech didn't kill them. First of all, his troops killed them. And by the way, we don't say here, Ein Shlich when it comes to a king who sends his troops, there, Yesh Lich So Shaul was the one who killed the, 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 the Noivira Kahanim. And that indirectly caused for the Gavayim to lose their Parnassah. So it's as if he robbed them. And Atkadekach is, 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 is the sin of theft. Once he, st he stole their livelihood. The next category in the Mishnah was whether a person is allowed to buy, to purchase items from married women. And what's going to be very important, that today, when people marry, the, the, the understanding and the agreement, Midas Bailim, is that women work today, women have their bank accounts, women use the bank accounts of the husband, Bidashuz Bailayim, it wasn't that way with man Chazal. Men were the ones that earned a living. And the man gave the wife, like we learned extensively in Ksubas, a certain allowance. And if she had things beyond that, if it was Shaloi Midas Baila, it's considered theft. So the Mishnah says that there were certain things that you could buy from women. And Tanar and more, a more elaboration on what we learned in the Mishnah. That like Chilm and Hanashim, anyone can buy from women, Kleit Semer, woolen garments in the region of Yehuda. Because it was certain that over there, it was with her husband's consent that they are selling these woolen garments. And likewise, Viklai Pishton and linen garments in the region of Golol. But not wine, oil, or flour. And likewise, continues the One should never buy any article, not from slaves, nor from children, because uh, 
mistama, their masters, their parents are not aware that they're selling it, so it's considered theft. A woman can always sell anything that has the value of four or five dinner. In order for her to be able to use the modern language for to buy a shaitel. So she wants a new shaitel, so the husband would allow her to sell whatever to earn four or five dinner, which is some equivalent to the chreis. How much does it cost today? To the five thousand dollars, to the eight thousand, to whatever shaitel, the normal price of a shaitel. But in all of these events, if the seller is telling the buyer, "You hide or hide the article," that implies that they're doing it shuloi midas, and therefore asur gabai tzedakah, money collectors, can they knock on a door? and received tzedakah from a woman, a married woman. Again, in the times that a married woman, she had an allowance, but anything beyond that was considered her husband's. Because halachically, whatever is hers is considered her husband's, unless there was a different agreement. So, he's allowed to take a small donation, that's gavaldic, expression of what does small mean, we don't write, but not a large donation. Olive pressers. Olive pressers were people that they did not have olives. They just had a factory. So if they were on their own were selling olives or wine, what does that mean? You can argue it's stolen. So here the rule is like this. That if they're selling a large amount of olives, or if they're selling shaman bimida, a large amount of oil, they would never sell a large amount if it would be stolen, because people would notice it. How do they get it? But if they're selling a small amount, that would be something that is possible for them to steal. And whether it's probable or whether it's not probable, that is already where we draw the line. Don't buy that from them. And here we're amending, look in the Mercedes Hashas, one can always buy a small amount of olives from women, which is a chiddish, because we just said that when people sell a lot, they got permission. Because they wouldn't be so chutzpahdik to steal and to sell that amount. A little is where it's more problematic. But even a little you can buy from a married woman. Because it's common, or it's at times, that a man is going to be ashamed to sell olives at the door of his house. In other words, he's ashamed to admit that he has a very difficult livelihood. And he, she's doing it. On his request, Ravina says the Gemara, who was a tzedakah collector, is Iklala He went to the city of Mechuza. And Asu Nash and Mechuza, and the women from there came, and Ramu Kameh, and they placed before him Kavle, Vishidei, Chveis, chains and bracelets. They gave him jewelry. And Kabul Minayu, and he accepted tzedakah from women. So Amar Rabba Toisfala Ravina, one second, didn't we learn in the Braisa that Gabay tzedakah can only be Mechabal Mehen from married women? Dover Muat. And you're taking from them, it was golden jewelry, or it was jewelry, silver, it was jewelry that had value. Valuable jewelry. So Ravina responded, the Baraisa doesn't give a number amount. It says large or little. And he says, that for the families in Mechuzah, that they're wealthy, it's considered, ask a fundraiser, no matter how much you give him, he'll say he got him sashvach donation. So it's always for the, for the recipient, it's a dover muat, says the Mishnah. You can always take from women, basically, any amount. Well, the truth is, today, everything changed. Because everyone, it's not, at least, you know, depends where you live, depends on the society. Here in America, 
a man is not going to write his wife, they have a joint account. Hopefully, if you have a normal marriage, you and your wife share the same bank account. That's right. That's very good. Yeah. Because that's, that means it's without his consent. But you have to, so many scenarios if a woman works, any zone, no, keep, keep your mezoinus uh, and I'm keeping my masiyah dying. And many times women today earn more than the men. So all of this will change. But in a scenario where a woman, that's the agreement. She gets an allowance. So if she's giving something beyond that, it's called Geneva. Says the Mishnah. Moichin, now we're going to learn, this is going to be the final sugya, when you have certain art, uh, craftsmen that they are working with materials. So there were certain leftovers of these materials that the accepted norm was that the, uh, the, the craftsman can keep. And then there is beyond that accepted norm that the craftsman cannot keep. So that's the question. Can he keep it? Can he not keep it? Can he sell it? Can he not sell it? Says the Mishnah. That Moichin was speaking here about shreds of wool. That the koivis will remove, when he, tied, when he took a garment, he used to soak it in water. And there were some shreds that stayed in the water. So that little amount of wool is something that he gets to keep. Let's read inside the Rashi. There's no place for this on the summit, as everyone can see. So on the left side, the little bit of wool that he takes out of the garments, Ali through soaking, says Rashi, this is important in the Mishnah. The Balabais doesn't care. And therefore, and here's the key just to know the Rashi, to learn the whole Mishnah. And even if there is someone who is Makpid, even if there is an owner that says, No, I want all of the shreds back, Loy Havik these are one of the instances where we apply the concept of batla daito So that's the rule. You are a launderer. The shreds that stay in the uh, in the pot where you soaked it belongs to the launderer. Back in the Mishnah, and we're going to add vishahasoidik moitzi. We're going to learn a lot about tweezling today. You can Google everything. Tweezling was like this: that when they used to soak woolen garments, even until today, sometimes you give your stuff to the cleaners and it shrinks. It used to shrink a lot. So after they cleaned it, they used to stretch it out on some sort of frame. And in order for it to stay affixed, they used to actually sew thread in it and, and you know, knock it into the frame. And they used to stretch it. Then they used to tweezle it. Tweezling would be some sort of brush that they used to brush in one direction. We learned this recently in Shulchan stuff similar to this. And it used to actually allow it to stretch out. It used to make the, the garment have some sort of plusher feeling almost like velvet, because you, you tweezled out, you brought the wool out, it made it more beautiful, but on the other hand, it made the garment weaker, because when you tweezled out the fibers, so then the garment... Teasled, thank you. You teasled it out, and then they used to make all of those fibers equal, and all of that made fibers fall out, then they used to cut out, because when they stretched the garment, they then would have to make it look even. When they evened it out, they used to cut the edges. So says the Mishnah that Vishahasoidik might see. All of the fibers that he takes out through tweezling, that belongs to the Balabais. So Rashi says the following that when people used to weave a new garment, they used to add to the edges of the garment additional thread, many times from a different color. 
Because when people used to buy a new garment, the first thing they did is they cleaned it. And again, whenever you cleaned the garment, you used to stretch it. And then you would have to cut out the edges. So they didn't want, I don't want to buy a garment. And from the first time, I'm losing the edges. So they used to add to it. So when the kavis would cut out three threads, which is the norm that they used to add, how they, the launder, the launderer gets to keep it. But But if you cut out more than three threads, how the elushabalabayis. And the way many of the shaynim learn, not only is it from the balabayis, the more than the three threads, I was allowed to keep three threads. If I cut out five threads, all the five I have to give back to the owner. However, but if the threads that the kavis cut out was from a different color. Which means that the one who made the garment added more than three, and he put it a different color, then nevertheless, you can take all of those because they were never part of the garment. And like Rashi says, normally people are not makbid, and even if this one is makbid, but lodaiti. Next, that if when people gave stuff to a tailor, don't like that, look how people were maybe poorer. So they provided the tailor with all of the materials. So who gets to keep the, the, the remaining threads? So the Mishnah says that if enough thread remained that you can still sew with it, how much is that? How much thread is needed that is still usable? We'll learn in the Gemara, God willing. And likewise, umatlis, or if there's a piece of cloth, we can call that a patch, that's already three al three, gimel al gimel. Gimel al gimel means three finger breaths and whenever we learn in Allah finger breaths we're speaking about thumbs so if, it, if, there's, if they have gimel al gimel that's boys that amount you have to give back to the owner meaning if it's less than that then the chayit gets to keep it so there's a certain tool called a matzad in English it's an adz and that used to be used to uh, to, to, to shave or to smooth out wood. And whenever you smoothed out wood, so you had shtiklach that fell off. So the thing is like this. If you take out some wood, you shave with a matzad, being that it didn't take out a lot of wood, that is something that the carpenter gets to keep. However, but whatever, he, all of the wood that goes off the utensil through an instrument called a hatchet, which is a larger instrument. So the shavings, the pieces that you cut off are larger, same logic. That already belongs to the balabais. However, but if a carpenter was working in the property of the balabais, or we have again on the side, even sawdust belongs to the balabais because it's in the property of the balabais. Says the Gemara, we learned, buy shreds from the kaivis. Why? Because we learned in our Mishnah. Because the shreds. And the kaivis, as we mentioned, when he cuts out the additional threads that garments came with, he gets to keep the upper two threads. And again, the Gemara is going to ask immediately in our Mishnah, we learn that he gets to keep three. Here in the Brais, it says he only gets to keep two. We'll get to that in a moment. Turning to the Afkuf Yutes on the days. However, So what the Rashi explains is like this, that when he, as we mentioned, after the garments were laundered and they shrunk and you needed to stretch them out, so when you stretch them out, you would push it, put them on some sort of frame. Now, how many stitches do you put on all of the edges that you put onto the frame? If you would stitch it more, then that loop that you are creating is stronger, you would be able to stretch it out more. 
Now, he wants to stretch it out more because the more you stretch it out, then at the end, when you cut off those edges, you get to keep it. So he would want to stretch it out a lot. So the rule is you can only put in three stitches and not more. Which means you won't have such a strong grasp, which means you won't be able to extensively stretch it out. That's the limit. Only three stitches. When we're speaking about teaseling, thank you, that's the word, which is combing it, which again, which on one hand it will make the beged look prettier. On the other hand, it takes many fibers away, makes the garment weaker. You can only do it to the chassis, which is really the warp, which also is the vertical threads. You're not allowed to do it, I'm sorry, vertically. It, the, the, the threads that are in the chassis, the warp threads, they get teaseled better. So they lose more fibers. So the garment becomes prettier, but it becomes weaker. You can only do it horizontally. You have to put, you know how, how they used to make garments. Because you have to do it in a way where you hear the Braises Paskening. Even if the final, the end, will be not as beautiful, but the garment will remain with more fibers. That is what you got to do. That's the machine that you used to... Today, uh, Google Teaseling. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vaitar. And then when you cut it to even it out, like we mentioned, because after you stretched it, think you take a garment and you sew certain parts and you stretch it, so the edges are going to be wherever you stretched it out, wherever you put in the... Uh, the threads, that's going to stick out the most. So they cut it out, only cut it only even it out amongst its length. And you have to know what the garment is used for, so it should be nice, it should be presentable, even if the launderer will, who gets to keep those edges, he wants to cut the, the, the bigger edge. He has to do it in a way where the balabas consents to. And if he wants to even it out, even by cutting off an entire tefach of material, he's allowed to do it as long as he's doing it because the owner wants for him to get back a, even a squared or a rectangled, a square garment and not a garment that its edges are ziggy-zaggy. We learned in the Braisa that when you get a new garment and he's allowed to keep for himself Two threads, and our Mishnah we learned three. So answers the Gemara Lekasha Ha'am Ba'alime. When you have a thick threads, they only would add two threads. Ha, our Mishnah that says three, speaking about Bektini thin threads. It says that when you teasel it, you can only teasel it on the weft threads. And as we explained, the teaseling will take away less fibers. Even though the garment won't be as beautiful, I will learn in the Braisa Ipcha. So the Gemara answers like Kasha. Ha, Biglime, that when we speak about teaseling a garment in a way that it loses less fibers, even though it's not so beautiful, that's a everyday normal garment. Ha, but when we learned in this new Braisa, that you have to dafka teasel it on the warp threads, that's speaking about a sarbala, a exterior beautiful cloak. The garment that people wear on the outside, if it's meant to be worn on, 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 on fancy occasions, there the owner wants it to look more beautiful. You know, that's the balance in everything. He wants your beauty over the longevity of the garment. When you stretch it out after it shrunk, he cannot put in more than three stitches in every loop. In other words, he can't even make it stronger. The more stitches, the more he can stretch it. And the owner doesn't want it to be stretched that much because the more you stretch it, at the end he's going to cut off the edges. 
Okay, so says the Gemara, when we're speaking about three stitches, so he's asking, this is a really yeshiva question, is passing the needle and bringing it back considered one stitch? For those of us in yeshiva, the first time we needed to sew our own hems, I mean, you have to know how to stitch, how it looked like, if you remember. So when you stitch, is bringing, going back and forth, is one back and forth considered only one? So back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, or back is one, forth is two, back. So it's half the amount for that Rabbi Yirmiya said, take um. so, That's Kavaldik. You can even it out only towards its length. Here again, we learned in another Braisa, Ichba. Ipcha, that you have to, you have to uh, straighten it out. Dafka to the width. So like Hasha, ha, the length is biglima. Again, an, a garment that the length is visible. So the length is where the owner wants it to look the nicest. Ha behem But if you're, if, you're, if you're straightening out or stretching out a belt, the length of the belt, most of it is not visible because it's wrapped around. So therefore, I care if the owner wants you to do it to the width. Tanra Rabbanim learned in Abraisa. Ein loichim and asoidek. In Allah Rabbi from a teaseler, Moichin shreds, because we assume that if he has those shreds, they don't belong to him. But wherever we know that the agreement is that the teaseler gets to keep the shreds, then Moichin. And in any event, you can buy from them a pillow. We're talking about from Tieslers that is filled with these shreds. Vikesas and a mattress, Meleyamoichan, that's filled with these shreds. In other words, even in places where the standard agreement is, is that they don't get to keep the shreds, if they put it in a pillow or in a mattress, then you can buy it from them. Now hold on. Why would that be? So what we are also learning a lot is that once a Goslin acquires something halachically, he made a change, then he owes the money to the owner, but then you can buy it from him. So the question is, how is taking you know, these, these shreds and stuffing them in a pillow, how is that called a change? It's a very shvacha change. You really didn't change it, you just put it in a pillow. So the Rishayim say that's the whole point. The whole point is, is that we don't know for sure that it's stolen. Maybe he did, he was given permission. So to begin with, we don't know for sure. Elamai were being machmer, don't buy it from him. So here we say that a little shinui, that's the way that Ivet explains this braiso, is considered a shinui. This shinui, in this scenario, is enough of a shinui. From a weaver, and now we're speaking about different pieces that they used to have. Eden means the woolen stoppers. Eden is a heddle. Heddles, Voloi Punkolim, nor tapestry bobbins, Hebra Google Everett, all of these things, Voloi Shiyari Pikiois, and not leftover spools of thread, because the norm would be that if he has those things to sell, they were not his. Avol, Loikhin Mehem Begin, but you can buy from them a speckled garment. Why would he have a speckled garment? Because if he was the Ganif, and he kept these leftover threads, which he should not have, and he made them into a garment, he kept from every different uh, client their threads, so they're not uniform. So when he is selling a speckled garment, Mistama, it's from those leftover threads, so you can argue the garment is stolen. But we don't say that, why not? Shinoi, Shkoyach. You can buy the speckled garment, and more than that, he used to actually finalize he used to twirl the threads themselves. So you can buy from him, Edev, Ushasi, Tavi, Vaadik, that the um, 
the threads, the weft threads, and the warp threads themselves, you can get from him. So asks the Gemara, Omri Hashta, Tavi, Shakel, if you can already get from him spun threads, even though the threads themselves were stolen. But once he spun them, it's considered a Shinoi. So Aroig, so if he wove a garment, of course, Mibaya, Pshita. So my answers, the Gemara, that the other garment that we are referring to is Arik Tichei. Arik Tichei is some sort of a garment that people made from unspun wool. So in other words, as long as it underwent a Shinoi, even though Lechayra, he used materials, the leftovers, the remnants that were, he's not allowed to keep, that Shinoi kinda, and you can buy those garments from him. From a dyer, that's D-Y-E-R, not wool used for testing, nor color samples, nor shorn wool, because all of this doesn't belong to the weaver, uh, doesn't belong to the dyer, and if he has them, stolen. You can buy a colored garment, mistama that he made from all of these stolen uh, samples, and tavoy, and the Bach says tavoy, ubigadim, and you can buy again woven or spun threads of garments. So again, hash the. It's a shinu reshus. You shouldn't have done. So we keep on learning this. That's the beginning of the spadex, like this. If the owner didn't have yush, that's the beginning of the spadex. Then according to Rab Chizda, if he didn't undergo a shinu yet, he can get it from whoever he wants. If it underwent a shinu, then he cannot collect it from the buyer. And then we had the other Rami, and then we had Rami as opinion that says that even if there was no Yush, even Lifna Yush, since it's already in the hand of a third party, the owner cannot collect it from the third party. That was a Machlag Now, the same Kasha, Hash, the Tavui Shakol, if it's spun, and that's already considered enough of a Shinoi that allowed this Tzaba to acquire it. So if you can buy Tavoy, so Begadim Ibaya. So again, the Gemara says that the Begadim that we are referring to are Begadim that are unspun. So the Shinui is not that it, that it was spun. The, you know, they used to take certain chunks of wool and they used to somehow press them together and make what we call a Namti felt. If a person gives hides to a tanner and Hakitsuyim, all of the trimmings, and the hatelushim, when you give hides to a tanner, you gave the hide. That means there was still some uh, hair sticking out. So those hairs, you never gave it to the tanner. However, but whatever he soaks in the water, and some woolen threads remain in that, uh, in that tub, that's already very little. And that belongs to the the Mishnah says that, you know, if the threads that were added initially were black and the garment was white, so the one, the launderer gets to keep all of those added threads. So Amr Yehuda, they used to call a launderer katsara, shorteners. You understand why they call them that? Because whenever you gave the garment to them, you got back, it's a, such a cute word, you always got back up. The garment was shorter. They stretched it. It looked the same. It was never the same. 
Katsara Shemei says Rabbi Yehuda, they're called shorteners because because Shakalei they are not allowed to keep those pieces that they shortened. Om Rabbi Yehuda says Rabbi Yehuda Hakol Oylo Lemi and Tcheles. Oh, for those who learn here Shulchan Aruch, so we learned the rule that when the Torah says Al Kanfevigdeim that you can look at your talus cotton and your talus gadol, we're not allowed to attach the fringes of the tzitzis. What's called Tachas Akanov. You can't do it under the corner. Under the corner, it's not in the ear. So the halacha is that we have meloi kesher agudel. Meloi kesher agudel means that the area in between this knuckle and the tip of your thumb, the tzitzis cannot be inserted in the beged within this space from the edges, from either edge. And you'll notice, it's always going to be beyond meloi kesher agudel, but on the other hand, it cannot be farther away from three thumb breaths. So now think about it. A guy buys a new garment. We're learning in our Mishnah that the weaver used to add on the edges already extra threads. And the guy who cleans it is allowed to keep it. So what happens if I'm going to attach tzitzes before I cleaned it the first time, before I gave it the first time to the launderer? So really, the question is, if I'm putting it exactly beyond the limit, but it's only beyond the limit because I'm including these black threads. The moment you're going to take the black threads off, then it's going to be tachas akonov. Can you do that or not? So says the Gemara that you're allowed to do it. That oil uh, and that Even though the laundry room might take it off. But right now these threads are here. They are part of the beged. And if you are inserting the tzetzes beyond the Meloi Kesh and Agudel, including those threads, you're good. However, Yitzchak Beri says, Rav Yehuda, my son Yitzchak, he was machmer, he would first remove the black threads, and then he, and then he would measure the Meloi Kesher Agudel, and only then would he put on, Tcheles here refers to Tzitzis. Vaitim. The reason why I can't be too close to the edge, Because the Torah, when it says, Al, Al, Hakonov, Al Kanfei, means Al, An, meaning, not Mamish, on top of the corner. That's not called Al-Kanfi. Very good. So the Mishnah says that if a guy gave a garment to a tailor and the tailor had leftover threads, so if the thread is large enough to, to sew again, then uh, the Balabas keeps the thread. He never gave it away to the tailor. So how long, think about it, how long does the thread have to be for it to be usable? So says the Gemara so he says like this, the way it sounds, is that you have a needle, a sewing needle. If the thread is the size of the sewing needle or smaller, it's impossible to use it. Because when you go through the garment, by the time the needle comes out the other side, there's no thread left. So as long as the thread that remained is a little bit bigger than the needle, you can make one stitch. But one second. That's Lav Dafka what he meant. So the Gemara right away asked, what did he mean? Did he mean, did he mean two machat sides plus a drop? Because think about it, even if it's just a drop bigger than the one length of the needle, what can you do with that? One stitch? He meant double the needle size plus a drop. Or did he mean it the way we said it? As long as it's the length of the needle plus a drop, that's already considered substantial. So If the tailor had less than this amount, you couldn't use it to sew. Or matlis, or if he has a patch that he pechusa mishalish al shalish that is smaller than three thumb breaths by three thumb breaths. Speaking about the width of the thumbs. Even there, 
the Mishnah gave the standard. You get to keep it. But if the Balabas says, I want it all back, then Hadeel Shabalabais, then it belongs to the Balabais. However, ain't Balabais Makbid Alayim? If he didn't say that he's Makbid, Hadeel Shalai, then the tailor gets to keep it. Now, why would the tailor even want to keep it? Gabalika proof. If what always goes to the Balabais is the needle length plus a drop, so less than that would mean that it's not even, it's the needle length or, or, or less. And the Mishnah is saying that if the, he's not mocked, but you get to keep it. For what? It's, it's not shaykh to use it. So, if it's double two needle lengths plus a drop, and and therefore less than that amount, which is what, what this Bryce is referring to, is chazi lisiksam, that's enough to make a loop. You can do something with it. But you can use it because when you put the needle through the garment, after the needle goes out, there's still a little bit of threat. That means mashu. That the minimum amount that goes to the balabais is the needle length and a drop. And our Bryce is speaking about pachos mikan. If there was less than that, why would the tailor even want it? Why are we speaking about it? That the, the minimal amount is two lengths of a needle plus a drop. That's considered something that you can use to sew. That's practical. That's something that we would use if you have to fix a hem. If you have two needle lengths plus a drop, you'll take a use it. Yeah. Now, by the the Mishnah finished with a carpenter saying that if he uses you know, heavy utensils to chisel, you know, to carve, then the remnants go to the balabayas. But if he uses an adds or anything less than that, which means that the sharings are even smaller, that normally he allows the carpenter to keep. I have a contradiction from the following b'raisa. It says, that which remains from the adds or or wood that's severed with the saw. That belongs to the owner of the wood. That's already the seed on our Mishnah. And let's just finish the Braisa. However, the little mamish dust of wood that goes out from the drill, when you drill through wood, so what remains? That's mamish dust. Or mitachas rehitni. Rehitni means a plain. Or vahanigra bimegeira, or saw dust. Only that belongs, shalai, to the carpenter. But the kasha is that all of the wood that falls out the matzad tool, our Mishnah says, from the Kharash, the Braisa says from the Balabayas, answers the Gemara Marava like this, Ba'asra the Tanadi done in the place where our Mishnah, the town of our Mishnah lived, Ikatarte, Chatsine, there were two types of chopping tools. Lerabasi, the larger one, Karelek, Kashil, they called an axe. Ulezutri, you see, and the smaller one was called a matzad, an adz. In other words, the Mishnah's adz was a small tool. The smaller the tool, think about it, the less wood it cuts off. So that taka the balabas was Michael to the Kharash. However, but when the Braiso said that if an adz is used, then all of the remnant wood belongs to the owner. It's Khadu, the Ikra. They only had one tool, which was a large tool. And that tool was called the Matzad. Yeah, if the larger the tool, so when you work with the wood with a large tool, it's coarser. So larger chunks fall off. If it's large, the Balabas wants those chunks for himself. The Imaya the Mishnah concluded that if the carpenter is working in the home or on the premise of the Balabais, everything belongs to the Balabais. Tanrabana we learned in Abraisa that Avanim 
Thank you, those who chisel stones. None of the remnant pieces the owner wants. It's stones. The owner is Michael. It's likewise, people that prune trees, people that prune grapevines, people who prune thorn bushes, people who take the weeds out of grains, or people who prune vegetables. So here it goes the following. If the owner says, I want, the, I want those remnants back, then you have to know what he wants. Omar Avihuda, the final rule in the Mesechte, Koshus, Vechazis, Kshus, Vechazis, hops and green grain, Ein Bahem, Yishum, Gezel. It's not called Gezel, as some of the Rishonim explain. We're speaking about people who plant, they want to plant the grains in their field, but the field has some shrubs of very interior products, and it's beneficial, inferior. inferior products, it's beneficial for the future grain that will grow for animals to eat up these hops and green inferior grains. So if the owners had animals, then they want to keep it for themselves. They already have some food for But if they don't have animals, since it's beneficial for that to be eaten up, so anyone can graze their animals in there. However, but if it's in a place where the owners don't want strangers to go in there, again, you, they want to get rid of those greens. It's almost like weeding. But if they have their own animals, then they're makbid, mishum gezel, and, and we're going to, Amar Avina, we're going to conclude the words, God willing, tomorrow Shabbos, but just to point out, so Ravina was speaking about Masam Machasya, that being that people there own their own animals, so they were makbid. Now, there's a rule, like the Marsha says, that Messiahmin Betoiv, you finish something on a positive note. And even though we learned on Dafkov Beis, Amachlekes, Ravhuna, and Rabbi Yosef, whether all of the three Bavas is Chada Nesichtehu or not, and it used to be, according to Rabbi Yosef, that the whole Seder Nezikin, it was called Nesichtes Nezikin, and we don't conclude with Bava Kama, but first of all, that's only Rabbi Yosef. Rafuna holds that from the outset there were three separate Mesechtas. And, and even according to Rabbi Yosef, now we, we divided it into Bava Kama, Bava Basra. So the Marsha says beautifully, and this is a very important rule, Rashi is learned together with the Gemara. Rashi is different than all the other Mepharshe Hashas. Again, when I was in Cheder, my teacher told me God gave us two hands, one to keep in the Gemara, one to keep in Rashi. And, and if you look inside Rashi, the last word of Rashi is Toiv. And Rashi ends with the words toif because Messiah literally with good. So he was saying that since they needed good pasture, so they needed it for their own animals. So when, so, that makes this concept a good concept? so this makes this concept a good a good concept. You know, the good concept is is to be very conscientious about theft. That's a good concept. And yes, there are times that you're overly careful, like we learned today in the Daf, his uh, sharecropper. He didn't give in anything that's not good. But on the other hand, don't take away from that. I should be generous. I should be generous. But if you don't own it, you cannot tell me that I should be generous and take things that are relatively inexpensive. No. If I want that for myself, if I need that mira toiv for me, then others are not allowed to take it. And just to point out that the first toiv was God willing that we'll learn Matzah Shabbos here. Uh, of Bava Metziah, explains that we all learn Bava Metziah and Cheder, Shnai Moichs and Betalus, the whole Mishnah begins with people, two people over ownership. Toysva says that the Hemshech HaMishnai is that the Rebbe makes even 
Even though that not necessarily Tosfos says that they learned in yeshiva that Rebbe taught the order of Shas to his students. He taught them what they wanted to learn. That's another big lesson. Students should learn what they want to learn. So Lav Dafkan, like we, we learned Rav Metzia in Cheder before Rav Kama. But the Rebbe who compiled the Mishnayis made an order into the Mishnayis. So since this last Mishnah speaks about items that have some sort of joint ownership, Interestingly, the joint ownership is because one taka owns it, but the craftsman gets to keep certain parts, so there are two people involved in an article, so behem shechlozeh, the shnayim, oichzim, betalas, God willing, mazel tov, to be continued next year with the first daf of Av Metziyam.